0: Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Guess who I'm talking to? I'm speaking to Ed from Friendly Fires. We have a lovely chat and uh, you're in for a real treat for this. Uh, Ed's Ed's wonderful and and we speak about so many good records. We get to speak about a bit of skateboarding, um, which is always a real joy and we get to uh, discuss our mutual love of, uh, now that's what I call music compilations, yeah, that's right. I said that, and uh, and there's even a gap in the middle where I rush off to uh, to go and find my copy of now. That's what I call music one. Um, but you're you're going to hear all of that and and some incredible choices uh, from Ed very soon. Obviously, we're talking about this um, because uh, the, the, the the first record's 15 years old. If that don't make you feel old, I don't know what will. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, what a record as well. And uh, and yeah, we, we, we chat, obviously, uh, about everything that's going to be coming your way soon from Friendly Fires towards the end of this chat. And before we get on with it, uh, a few thank yous. I want to thank uh, the Distraction Pieces podcast, which is headed up by um, the podfather himself, Mr. Scrooby's Pip. Uh, I'd like to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast for producing this pod uh, and always, the biggest thanks and love go to you lot for uh, con- continuing to support this podcast, and uh, we're five hundred episodes in, and uh, and it's just growing and growing, and and that's because of you, lovely lot, continuing to support and and share and retweet and 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 do all those things you're doing. So so keep doing what you're doing, uh, and and yeah, huge love. Thank you. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast in in another way uh, and get even more content. Um, then you can become a Patreon. I, I put out two episodes for free each week um, on on all the usual platforms. So that's that's quite a bit for a podcaster to stick out two interviews a week. Um, but if you like to watch them episodes or you want to get access to all the radio shows, a huge back catalogue of um, of other stuff that's never come out to the public, um, then head over to Patreon, p a t r e o n dot Uh, forward slash off the beat and track and it's a dollar so it works at about 70 odd pence uh, a month and that gives you access to all of that and it also gives you access to our monthly live show and that's done over zoom and it's lovely it's a really cool little hangout Um, we've got a a smashing gang of people that turn up to it and uh, and we just pick a little question from the podcast and we all we all talk about the records that that had that kind of impact on our lives it's not everyone's not turning up trying to be super cool b-side indie wanker everybody's being very honest with their record choices it's not a judgy thing it's just a really lovely little nerdy hangout where uh you can just chat about records uh with some really adorable people um you, you're more than welcome just to turn up and have your camera off and your mic off and just uh and just listen in Um, Or you can get as involved as you would like. And again, that is all part of what you get for uh, your Patreon subscription, which is about 70p a month. Um, You can find out about that and everything else uh, to do with the podcast at the website as well, which is offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. And also, if this is your first time listening to the pod, um, hello. Um, You've started with a great episode you're in for a real treat for this one Um, when you get to the end of today's chat uh, with Ed why not go and explore the back catalogue because um I've been really lucky I've had some wonderful chats uh, with kind of amazing producers like Butch Vig and Norman Cook uh, and then you know I've also been lucky to speak to some sort of rock giants like the Foos and Tommy Lee and Motley crew uh, and if you like your yeah, UK indie stuff. Then um, I've been super lucky there. You know, you can hear me talking to the lights of Foles, um, the Kaiser Chiefs, uh, the Kooks, um, and 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 if you kind of want to go overseas, I've been lucky enough to sort of speak to the Killers. Um, oh, they're all there. There's hundreds of them. Hundreds of episodes. Go and get stuck in when you when you finish this episode. Uh, go and have a good old rummage in the archives, and I promise you, you will find. Uh, something that you will enjoy listening to. Right, let's get on with it. Please enjoy today's episode of Off The Beat & Track podcast with the delightful Ed from Friendly Fires. It's Off The Beat & Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Ed, how are you today?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks so much, Stu, for having me on.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, mate. Where are you today? It looks very studio-based. Uh, I'm in my
1: home studio, just north of Hitchin. Uh, yeah, kind of getting on with writing music. Wonderful. What
0: a Wonderful. I mean, it seems weird to to kind of look back to to, to something that I guess, you know, will probably be a, a, a distant memory for, that most people wish it would be anyway. But tell me a little bit about lockdown and how you found that creatively.
1: Uh, creatively it started out. Okay. And then it dwindled. If you know what I mean? I I think I had that initial sort of burst of, well, Hey, I can get on and write stuff. I've got all this time. Um, but then I think, I don't know what stopped it to be honest. Maybe it was just the monotony of having nothing to do, but be at home. Yeah. And, and also like bouncing off other people. It's, it's one thing kind of, you know, sending emails to each other or exchanging music via email. But like having someone in the room with you is entirely different. And I, that's something that I really cherish. Like as as far as, you know, writing music, you know, we still try and do that as much as we can, basically.
0: Did you feel a sort of, almost like a knee-jerk reaction to, right, okay, so all of a sudden there's there's none of the pressures that, that, that present themselves daily to a musician. I can kind of, I have the time to, create more so I should max that did you just from speaking to other musicians there they felt that that kind of well I've got the time so I've got to maximize it and 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 you can't necessarily force these things right
1: yeah 100% but I think I find it hard enough writing music as it is (laughs) to be honest (laughs) with you it's it's like you know it's still I still have that pressure on my shoulders regardless of whether you know there's um I have more free time and you know to be honest with you I think I work kind of better when I have pressure on my shoulders. Yeah. If there's like a deadline it's like okay we got to get cracking. Like I found with our last record we um we put out the single before we'd finished the album and you know it's like okay we're making a statement this is happening there's no turning back now. So it's like you know all all cylinders are firing if you know what I mean whereas if if everything's just open it's like oh, maybe I'll mess around with this synth for, like, two weeks. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you can, just, you can get, get lost in the stuff that just isn't important, I guess. And, yeah. So, yeah, to be honest with you, I'm writing way more now than I was in lockdown. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> Let's start your
0: playlist. I want you to tell me, please, Ed, for track one, the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please.
1: Uh, I was, yeah, I had a big think about this. And I was like, well, there's so many amazing tunes with awesome intros or intros that almost define genres i was like okay goldie inner city life i love that really expansive intro corn blind it's like the sound of new metal why
0: has no one ever chose that i've done 500 really? of these and no one's ever chose blind by corn and it is, it, is a, it basically was most people's introduction to new metal right
1: it literally starts with are you ready i mean <laughs> no. that's like the ultimate intro to anything but uh, yeah so that <laughs> and i was like you know i was like oh frankie knuckles and jamie Principle, the kind of the arpeggiator sound which is kind of also like a cool intro where it's like more like a siren rather than it's so long or expansive um yeah so yeah your love but then i was like well what about in my life what was the kind of introduction my introduction to music and uh yeah it was just it's a boring answer but i was just like it's got to be nirvana smells like teen spirit because just i remember the time when i heard it i remember exactly where i was who i was with and it was like a defining point for me in terms of like i was like okay i'm into this music thing this is what i'm into and i was I, th- I remember the year i was you know since you know you gave me all these questions i was like trying to chronologically remember all this stuff in my head and i was like okay i was it was either 92 or 93 i was eight or nine i was with my brother we were in games workshop in luton uh we were big into like you know nerdy painting model stuff and um, one of the guys that worked they had long hair of course, put, yeah.
0: <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did.
1: Yeah. I think it was more of a metaler than a grunge guy, but either way he put on, he put on that track and everyone started moshing in games workshop. It was the weirdest, funniest thing I've ever seen. And, uh, yeah. And I was just like, I went up to him and was like, what is this? And he, he told me what it was. And I was like, from that moment, I was like, I'm, I'm not into like painting models anymore or, you know, doing, doing that stuff. Like music mm-hmm. is what I'm about. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember like asking my mom to buy me it because I was too embarrassed because it had like a naked baby on, on the front cover. You know, and uh, yeah, it was just, yeah. And and weirdly enough, my brother, who I was with at the time, he actually designs Models for Games Workshop now. So he yeah. kind of stayed on that path and then I kind of moved into the, the kind of the music thing. And um, yeah, so I have like that track to like thank for just, I think just the energy of it, you know, the production is also something that is just so, uh, it's just so immediate and also kind of, you can grasp it if you're young. I think when you're young, things that sound really well produced tend to be easier to approach.
0: I am. I was lucky enough to, to, to have, um, butch Vig on the podcast and I, I, he, he, bizarrely didn't choose this for intro and I, I I had to question that. And, uh, (laughs) And, uh, and 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 he was saying that you know that the, the the first review he read of it, somebody described it that when Dave Grohl's drums kick in, uh, in in that intro, it felt like the house had just collapsed on top of them, and and it is such a barrage of noise. And uh, but on the production thing as well, from from what I gather, I mean, if 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 you know what what you read and what you hear is Kurt wasn't actually a, a fan of that kind of butch I'm sure. production was he he was more the steve albini
1: kind of yeah like he wants a punk and yeah. a but it's but the thing that's amazing about that intro is that whenever you hear like a school band covering it and the drum fill comes in it's like it, it just sounds pitiful and it's something <laughs> to do with the way you know the way that it was recorded i think i don't know if they tracked the drums with mm. like early early sort of tracking using samples but it just sounds as you said it sounds freaking huge yeah and uh, yeah, and I just remember hearing that fill kick in, and it was like, okay, my life's changed from this point.
0: And, and the thing is, as well, we, we, if we talk about Nevermind as as, a, as an album, as well, it, it gets thrown into you know terminology like grunge and things like that. It's one of the most uh, as a as an as an indie DJ in my club, I've been playing that record for thirty years, right? And maybe apart from something in the way, I can play any track from that album and it will go off still to this day with the next generation, because I think it's a perfect pop record. I think every track on Nevermind is pure pop. It's just loads of, obviously quite loud, quite loud, but the hooks and the choruses are just absolute pop gems.
1: Yeah. And I think it, to me, that's, that's kind of why grunge is different to like punk and hardcore. I mean, I don't listen to that much Nirvana now, but to me, that record is, you're right. It's a pop record. It's, great songwriting it's it's kind of like more like good rock music as well which is you know different from maybe what he was influenced by which was just more about kind of trashy energy whatever so it's um yeah it's you know it's just textbook great songwriting i mean listening to it now the one i really like is territorial pissings just because it's it's so it's that is like the hardcore track or the punk track off the album pure chaos yeah, and the vocal, the vocals are just, you know, awesome. At the end, it's like you can tell that he's feeling it. Yeah, it's not forced.
0: In regards to um, yourself as a as, as a musician and songwriter, the way that people are consuming their music now and getting their music is probably different now to how it was when Friendly Fire started as a band. Um, we're now seeing things like TikTok being used to market music and, and I, you know, th- there's songs that I play that my children are singing and I'm like, how the hell do you know that? And they're like, oh, it's on TikTok. Uh, and obviously the, the the desire to be on certain Spotify playlists which has maybe replaced that desire to be on whatever radio station it it, it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Tell me, has any of these kind of... Because, because one of the things that we've that kind of TikTok generation and the Spotify playlists, it, it feels that there's a lot of interesting, you've got to hook them quickly. Mm. And I know that maybe that's more with sort of mainstream pop, you know, which has almost become a sort of science in itself of creating this perfect two minute thing yeah. that is an earworm. And um, How much of any of the stuff that I've just mentioned f- has filtered through into your creative process, if at all?
1: Uh, I think not really that much. I think we naturally try and keep our music pretty immediate, but that has nothing to do with, I think, trying to be, you know, trying to fit into some kind of, or just to make it more marketable. Sure. Um, yeah. Am I a fan of it? No, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's definitely not what I'm into. Um, yeah. I was, yeah. I. I guess even like playlists feel really sort of sterile to me, you know, compared like, you know, I I grew up listening to compilations and I mean, I'm going to, you know, some of the music that I've discovered, I discovered through compilations that we're going to be listening to later. And so it's like, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, things, the idea of like a playlist, but I think it's just the fact that it's this constant stream that things just get lost and it's, and you're also not living with it, you know, I don't know. I don't want to whine. I don't want to be one of those whiners because it is what it is. But It's a safe space to whine, It. It's all right.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's just, I guess it is what it is. I think for us, yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of lucky in the sense that we've always wanted to just write music that grabs you straight away. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, you know, if we were say like a, like a foals band or whatever, it might be a bit different where you're like, you know some of their biggest tunes have long intros yeah. so in, in so in that respect it's it's probably might, might be a bit more of an issue but for us it's like we'd we like to like kick in the drums and the, all the rhythm like straight away and just get it going if you know what i mean absolutely
0: tell me about the first song you remember hearing please ed that had an emotional impact on you
1: so yeah i guess yeah there are so many there's music that your parents play you. That's you know I have like really fond memories of dancing with my dad to "Um Stick Together" by Brian Ferry. You know, just Mike growing up listening to Michael Jackson, all of that stuff. But I think in terms of like a specific emotion that I feel like I've been trying to like capture in our music, which is you know like that kind of sense of like euphoria or that epicness, the, the, kind of, the kind of moment that makes you want to like hug your friends and just, you know, but like I guess you hear in a lot of like rave and house and whatever, but I was too young to be into that music. So for me, it was Oasis Slide Away just because it has, I guess it's like kind of shoegazy. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It has those lush melodies that are just, that, that aren't on every Oasis tune. I was like, the end of like Live Forever has that same kind of, Feel, which is i don't know how to describe it just melodies that feel really kind of like emo almost do you know what i mean
0: that slide away bizarrely is my favorite oasis track as well Hmm. uh and i i do think that's the closest they get to shoegaze i i i i I do think it's got that feel to it and yeah i i i I, there's something about when that album come out You know i I was sort of 18 and i just caught it at the right time and it was super exciting and but for me being a a shoegaze fan it was always slide away that i gravitated to straight away it was like yeah this is the one that just feels it's got i don't know it's got something different to it that the rest of that record hasn't got
1: yeah i think it didn't have the kind of beatlesy melodies that i just found a bit boring Mm. to my ears i wanted like yeah that kind of dreaminess Mm. and you know it's like i guess that was the kind of entry point for me to like creation records and then you hear my buddy valentine and you hear like swerve driver and you hear all of that stuff and then you're like oh that's that's the stuff that i'm really into yeah but i wouldn't have got there had it not been for you know that you know that track and also like uh oasis at Nebworth was my first gig so that oh, was kind wow. of yeah so i was like yeah i was 12. the only reason i went was because i lived next to the site of where it was yeah, and they gave my family like 12 free tickets so i was like the popular kid for a weekend <laughs> and uh yeah and it was yeah it was really intense yeah really intense experience like just loads of pissed up lads and you know i, I couldn't get close to the, the stage so all the kind of the screen visuals were totally out of sync with the music. Yeah, So it's just like, I don't know, it, it, I don't, yeah, it was weird. I kind of felt like maybe these, these aren't like my people. This isn't my crowd. I kind of knew from that early age and I kind of, I knew that I wanted to like, it sounds really pretentious or like snooty, but I wanted to like dig deeper and, you know, find something that maybe related to me a bit more, I guess. I don't think think
0: that's snooty. I think that's just a a realisation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I don't want to be like, oh, I'm I'm better than lad culture or whatever. But it was just, I guess it was just like something. I just, yeah, I just didn't, maybe didn't gel with that vibe. I think I was a bit like a more shy person. And like, I guess, you know, I mean, I was 12, but I knew, I knew that that wasn't going to, and maybe being like a middle-class kid as well, I felt like it wasn't, I couldn't quite relate to it. Yeah. In the way that I guess, you know, if you're a working class lad and you hear Oasis, it's, you know, I can I can totally get why that music is for you, do you yeah.
0: know what I mean? I did, I did hear a, a, an interesting thing that, that Noel Gallagher said at, uh, recently about Nebworth and, and why it's revered so much. And, you know, and he said the thing that I, I think made it so special was the fact that it was pre-mobile phone. And so that connection, there was nothing interfering. Everyone was like there. It was us, you know, and the crowd, and there was no one texting, there was no one ringing their friends, there was no one filming it, and I, and I thought I'd never considered that, and like, yeah. and, and you just think how you know it's a given now when you're at shows that you presume that somebody at some point is going to stand in front of you with you know with, with with their phone you know up above their head filming something that you should be, I guess maybe more directly engaged with, but you know it's horses for courses. What's your stance on that?
1: Uh, i mean you, you can't control what people want to do really sure uh, you can't control how the audience are going to react you know like that recent uh raw blood thing it's just it's just really embarrassing like i mean i'm, I'm watching it from the sidelines being like oh god you know it's just like uh you, you just got to get, get up there and do your thing and and whether you know whether you're playing to tons of people or barely anyone or whether they're enjoying it or not enjoying it you play like you play and maybe uh, that ethos for me comes from getting into like punk and hardcore at a young age where you know where you're playing to like five people and you still got you know you've traveled five hours or whatever just to like play the show so you you may as well put the effort in do you know what i mean whereas you know i I think yeah sort of you know people are going to react how they react so just get on with it
0: absolutely you you touched on uh dancing around the front room uh to, to 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 Brian Ferry and stuff uh, in your dad's record collection um, was was growing up was home musical,
1: uh, uh kind kind of not really. I think you know, yeah, like my my dad would have like the standards. I guess he had like Fleetwood Mac, um, Roxy Music, yeah, Phil Collins, um, yeah, you know the kind of what I would consider just the standard records to have yeah,
0: the big hits of the day, right
1: yeah yeah exactly and you know i think but apart from that it wasn't you know yeah we weren't i think maybe that memory stuck out of dancing with my dad to that track because we didn't listen to that much music maybe growing and when we did put that on i was like oh wow i'm actually we're actually having a good time here great let's do this more often yeah Where, Yeah. where was home uh so home st albans yeah growing up so yeah pretty much been in this part of neck of the woods yeah Forever. you know i lived in london for a bit but i guess yeah i kind of had that idea of living in london hey uh, we, we're going to be meeting loads of like-minded people and we're, we're going to be writing music all the time and it's just you know it just wasn't a reality for me i guess so it's like being back out here being in nature i can really like focus on the important stuff by like taking the dog for a walk getting in the studio and then just getting on with it really I yeah. guess
0: Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's really interesting what you just said, then, and, and, and that's the whole reason why this podcast is called Off the Beat and Track. Um, just at the end of me road is is a mate of mine who's a, a former musician called Scroobius Pip, and. I used to have so many conversations with Pip and we'd be out and about and people would be like, uh, you live in Essex? Like what? You don't live in London? And he's like, mm. no, 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 it's only 25 <sighs> minutes on the train. Yeah. yeah but why yeah. don't you live in London? And he's like, well, I quite like living in Essex. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. that. But also when you sort of reach further afield than, 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 than maybe sort of St. Albans and Essex and, and the sort of peripheries of London, you know, there is that desire for artists that, that, that live maybe further north or further down to, to move to London because that's where you get your shot and you know and and I find it really interesting you know how people have different sort of takes on that did you move to London after the band were established
1: yeah I think so I think to be honest I've kind of always felt like as a band we were kind of that sounds really lame but outsiders in the sense of we didn't really like neatly fit into like any genre I think we were kind of okay we're broadly indie but we're kind of like pretty poppy we're kind of really influenced by like house and disco you know we we started out playing like club like actual club nights and then you know we we kind of yeah i never felt like we were really a band that could just move to say london and then be around all the indie bands and we'd all be like a cool collective together never it never felt like that for us and um and we've always recorded most of our music ourselves so it's like we've always been kind of insular in that sense we have never needed to be near like a posh studio or anything so yeah it's um yeah i guess maybe yeah maybe in my mind i just had this you know romantic idea that that we would be part of some kind of collective and which you know i mean i wish that was the case I, i always get jealous when i see bands that are like their mate is an amazing artist and they have like, you know, they just, all of these things perfectly (laughs) together. Whereas, you know, we were kind of, we're from St Albans, like finding people that were just into the same stuff as us was hard enough. Do you know what I mean? Just finding people that are into the same music, let alone kind of being in a collective where, you know, there was, you know, so I kind of, yeah, in that sense, I've, yeah, I've kind of felt like we were outsiders, you know.
0: But all them people that weren't outsiders, they all had their high fidelity moment in a really cool record shop. You had yours in Games Workshop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's the difference. It started early, I think.
1: <laughs> well, well, weirdly, weirdly enough, like I mean, our base, our live bass player, I met in HMV in St Albans. He worked at HMV, and I bought a Boards of Canada CD, uh, and I went up, and we just started chatting about Boards of Canada. I was working at O'Neill's pub. He, he'd finished work and came and, you know, I served him a beer and then we, we just started chatting. And then from there, he's been our live bass player since we were 18 years old. Yeah. So so record shops as well, you know.
0: Absolutely. Shout out HMV. That The aforementioned <laughs> Scroobius Pip, that was where he met. Dan Lassac. they both worked in HMV in Lakeside. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I'm going to ask you now to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Ed.
1: So, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, thinking about this, I think, yeah, Ed, Jack and I, we've always been like pretty exploratory and like, I mean, we're always kind of competitive almost in a way where we wanted to like find something cool and then play it to our mates and be like, have you heard this? Have you heard that? And um, we, yeah, I guess, and, you know, trying to search for like our identity and and find something that feels kind of unique to us. And I think, we were kind of, you know, we went through your obvious like new metal phase and we went through like a kind of pop punk phase. And I, I think we were sort of trying to search for something a little deeper. And then Ed and I went over to visit one of our friends in um, just outside Washington, D.C. it was in 1999. I remember it because we spent 2000 at a really lame house party where no one was drinking. But anyway, yeah. So we, the good thing about that trip was that we went to, um, a record shop called smash records in georgetown and there was like entering kind of like an aladdin's cave for us we were like 16 years old and it was just like you know discord records black flag just all this kind of cool stuff cool u.s punk and hardcore that was kind of harder to find you know they had like a punk and hardcore section in tower records in piccadilly and maybe there was a punk hardcore shop that we just didn't know about that we were too young but but uh, for us, it was just like, wow, there's so much cool music here. And um, and one of those bands was on Discord records, you know, Fugazi, Minor Threat, and they were called uh, Q and Not You. And that whole record just had, to, I guess it was coming out of like an art punk scene, but it had like that kind of dance element to it that felt super fresh for us. It was like, okay, girls can dance to this. This isn't like macho bro music. Yeah. And uh, it felt like the almost like a the proto sound of what would become like DFA records and, you know, the stuff later, you know, it had that kind of dancey punk attitude like, a couple of years before. Sure. I, I'd never heard of them. Uh, and when you sent the list over, I went,
0: I went and had a listen. And the first thing that I could equate it to was kind of the, the really early at the driving stuff before one arm scissor and stuff like that it was more yeah. along that, that that kind that was what i kind of got from it i don't know if you can sort of hear that in it
1: yeah yeah i guess wh- yeah i guess it was where hardcore was becoming a bit more arty and less macho yeah i guess yeah and um, yeah and like those kind of dueling guitars that just really like capture your attention like really angular sound and stuff and um but i guess with yeah with the q and not you stuff they they had like a disco beats on the album they had like an open hi-hat like there's sort of moments that are like Wow, this is kind of danceable and interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think that really was like a kind of for us like a real early influence, definitely on the first record. And then, you know, there are other bands that came out of that scene, especially in 2000, like the first Chick 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 record, but we're going to talk about in a yeah. bit, where it was like, wow, this is this is like, this is what we're about.
0: Yeah. And
1: that that that, you know, that sort of seemed to be the thing that we really wanted to focus on. I just,
0: I just want to sort of touch on, on on school a little bit. Was 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 that something that you enjoyed school?
1: Um, not really. I, I guess, well, not. I didn't dislike it or like it. I think we kind of, I was, you know, I was really. I think we were really fortunate that we were kind of able to like find our clique pretty early on. Like in the first year, we were like, you know, maybe someone was wearing a Tones t-shirt or something. Yeah, like I was really into. Jack was sort of into the kind of more kind of cooler end of stuff. Like he was really into Mogwai and, um, super furries and, and, uh, but he was the, he was the drama in school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to become friends with you because we've got to write music to that. We, you know, we have to, we have like a desire to write music. Yeah. And I think, you know, we just used to hang out in the music room and just listen to records. We had a really cool music teacher that was, um, that would just let us bunk off going to assembly and we just hang out there. And, and, you know, that was kind of, I think that was like the most important thing about school really for us.
0: Did you know what you wanted to be?
1: Um. Uh, no, probably not. I, I knew that I wanted to do, I knew that I really loved music and I wanted to do music, but it definitely didn't seem like, something that I'd want to admit to my parents or my teachers. Do you know what I mean? I think that, I think they would have just, especially going to like a, you know, like a private school, you know, they want you to do something proper with your life, I guess. Yeah. I mm. mean, you did in the end, didn't you, right? Well, well, yeah, but I, <laughs> I still think, you know, my parents were like, uh, well, I'll believe this is going somewhere when you start making some money out of it, I guess. Rather than it just being, oh, the song gets played on the radio or whatever. It was like, I think they were like, oh, that's cool, congratulations, but are you going to be able to turn this into something? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I guess that's just maybe just coming from a, you know, like a a background where, yeah, my parents, like, they're kind of like from a working class background, very hardworking and everything is about, you know, a bit more money focused, I guess. Whereas, um... You know, I'm kind of, yeah, all, all of the kind of heroes that I'm into, I guess it's like, like it's about creating, you know, I sound, I sound really pretentious, but about creating good art and being able to like exist and do it that's rather not than, pretentious, not well, you know, just, well, just being, up, just being able to like, you know, like just being able to exist and get by, but do what you love is definitely, yeah. Now that's, that's the thing that I'm striving for rather than, then you know having loads of cool shit or whatever
0: you can know. get by doing what makes you happy you're winning 100 percent.
1: yeah definitely definitely
0: tell me the first thing you remember buying from a record store please ed
1: uh okay so yeah we're kind of going back in time a little bit and um yeah going back to compilations and how yeah it's just like a like a the earliest way for me to like discover music apart from the radio of course but um yeah so i think it was buying now that's what i call music compilations did you ever buy those or you you're you're older than me so you're probably like that's lame i'm I'm never gonna wait there two seconds
0: (laughs) ed i'll keep this in my little (laughs) recording room because this is the first record i ever owned
1: Oh, my goodness me. And Amazing. It's, it's the first ever Now compilation. <laughs> yes, and, I love uh, it. Sorry and... for sorry for, good, sorry for saying, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, so cool. But, yeah, I, I, it absolutely changed my
0: life. It was like, oh, I'm, all of a sudden, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm of an age where most of them records that uh, you said you was dancing to your dad to uh, happened to be on the first record I bought. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely a lot older. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... Sometimes they're sort of they're, they're sort of sneered upon a little bit that the, the now compilations, and, and I, mm. I, I can, can kind of understand why to a certain degree. But I also think you mentioned that Oasis were like a gateway for Swerve Driver and things like that. I think that the now compilations are a
1: gateway to to a multitude of different artists. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think you know it's and also you're living, you get to live with the tracks, and there might be certain things on there where you start to appreciate the artistry a bit more. Yeah. Just because you know, there might be like a eurythmic song on there or wherever where it's like if you're young, you're like, oh, I don't like electro sounding music. And then you start to like, you know, you just listen to it more because it's on a cassette or whatever. You just you have to listen to it. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, actually, this track's really growing on me. Or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, for me, it was it was now 29. Um, I'm trying to think what else was on there. It was like wet, 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 or you know, whatever. It was like classic 90s, textbook nineties. Yeah. 1994 and um so i heard yeah weezer buddy holly and i was like i need to get this track i like just something but you know it's just like super i don't know what would you say? kind of like catchy like 50s sounding punk or whatever i don't yeah. know yeah it was, you know it's just it was just appealed to me i guess it had that kind of saccharine sugary yeah. energy but like kind of gnarly sounding guitars yeah. and um so, yeah, I went to Classical Rock in Harpenden, which is a record shop that I bought uh, my first Swerve Driver record from as well. But, um, yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I bought, I wanted to buy Buddy Holly, but they had Say It Ain't So. That was the only one they had. And, um, yeah, so I just took that home and I was like, this is really cool. This yeah. song is, like, just as good as Buddy Holly. Yeah,
0: that's a happy oh, accident. Oh. It's a cracker, Say yeah. It Ain't So, <laughs> isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. And, like, it's, um, yeah, it's also kind of, the record that my dad likes the most as well. So we kind of, I don't know why my dad really loves that whole, that first Weezer album is just like his favorite record. Every time I get in a car with him, he's just like always got it on or has it somewhere like stashed away. And, uh, yeah. And I think it's, yeah, it was just this, you know, once again, like a real gateway album for me getting into like, you know, probably from there I would have got into like green day or something. No. And, um, yeah. So big ups. Now, now that's why I call music compilations. So, cause I wouldn't have heard that tune. Otherwise. Sure. Tell me about, uh, you know, a young
0: age. Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hearing, you know, that first Weezer record, which is, you know, sort of soaked in, in, in pop melodies and that. And then what, what did you make of it when you were
1: Pinkerton? Uh, I think initially I didn't get it yeah yeah i was like yeah i yeah i just didn't think the songs were as good yeah now i can appreciate it a lot more i think yeah yeah definitely uh yeah it was yeah i think i haven't you know i haven't really i I haven't really listened to it properly in a while but i listened to it about i think about half a year ago just randomly out the blue which is not i would you know i just wouldn't really listen to it like Weezer now but I I was just like what like, for some reason it came to my head and I was like this is way better than I remember it being. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree.
0: What's your relationship like with with, with the record shop now? I mean I, I often speak to artists that you know if they're out on tour they go to a new town they will hunt out the you know the local record store and and get lost in there for half an hour. Are you are you that kind of person?
1: Uh yeah, 100%. I'd like if I go, if you know if we go on holiday I'll drag my missus to like every record shop. Or I'll say you know, go and get a coffee because I'm gonna like yeah. see, see what I can find. yeah um, yeah I think I think I've always always been like a real nerd like some of some of my closest friends um, work in record shops like at my birthday the other day Nick from Fonica came down and you know like I, I think it's so important when you meet people like the it's so important that there are people that work at record shops that have the right attitude. That is uh inclusive and that have this desire to kind of to share their knowledge with you yeah because sometimes you know everyone knows what it's like to go into a record shop when there's just some miserable old geezer that just doesn't yeah you know that's just frowning at you but it's amazing when you go somewhere and 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 you know and someone's really welcoming and they you know they ask you hey what are you into hey check this out and they give you like five records or whatever and i've been really fortunate that i've met those people along the way so yeah nick from fonica um when i was at university in nottingham one of my first friends i made was uh chris who works at reckless in soho now and uh, he was he was just one of the people that'd be like hey man how you doing check this out and then i'd see him at a show later the week that later that week and he'd be like hey come and hang out so it's you know the record the record shop is really important for me It's, it's how i how i discover music still yeah
0: Let's go clubbing. Track five, the song that soundtracked your year's clubbing, please, Ed.
1: Um, so, yeah, I guess most of the clubbing I would have done would have been in that kind of, you know, university period, I guess. Where was uni? Um, so uni for me was Nottingham Trent. And, you know, it was a good time to be in Nottingham. It was stealth, rescue rooms. It was that real kind of crossover point between... House and Techno and Minimal and your classic indie disco. Yeah. And I guess Stealth and Rescue Rooms, I mean, stealth was quite literally above rescue rooms. So you were able to like switch between the two. And yeah, they kind of, you know, as you know, there's like DFA records was really big at the time, Airbanger stuff was really big at the time. And it was it was uh yeah, for me, it was that first chick or the second chick 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 record, but especially that track, me and Giuliani. Just because it kind of for me it just felt like it understood dance music a little bit better it was like really acidy really like sounded great on pills you know it was just like a real it reminds me of like discovering that whole side of listening to music as well which you know which is it's not something i do that often now yeah but at the time you know kind of taking pills and acid and then listening to certain music was really like revelatory and probably really like inspiring for, for writing music as well. Maybe not, you know, just in, in terms of the feelings that you get when you're listening to music in that state and yeah, I think that track just it sort of morphs through all these kind of different phases and it's, it's kind of, yes, it's a total trip, but super danceable works in a kind of club environment. And it also works in a kind of more of an indie kind of environment. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, you know, to me, that's like the gold standard for that sound. And it's definitely what, you know, what we kind of try and keep it in our minds when we're writing our stuff.
0: It was it was a really, like, huge crossover moment, wasn't it? Like, I think, you know, all of the, you know, you mentioned Ed Banger and, and Kitsune as well. Like, all, mm. all of them labels were, you know, within months remixing the biggest indie bands and and then all of a sudden them indie bands had you know way more danceable tracks for the clubs and things like that. it was obviously a, 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 a huge uh melting pot but I want to sort of touch on something that you you said about um that track and you said oh you know there's there's acidy bits in it like did had you was you already aware of what had happened 20 years previously musically you know with with acid ass and, and 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 that sort of era of, of electronic music or was it discovering them bands around that point that sort of pushed you to go back and explore you know the kind of roots of that
1: oh it was definitely yeah working our way back i think our int- introduction into like dance floor what the house music or techno was really when minimal house was massive. So it was Ricardo Villa Lobos. It was like ghostly records, all of that stuff. And so, yeah, I had to, yeah, I had to work my way back, like with yeah. most things, you know, you know, and, and I had to, um, you know, discover just like early Detroit music and then listening to kind of, you know, Frankie Knuckles and Jamie Principal, your love, which we actually covered on our first ever single. It was, it was like, okay, this I'm, I'm like understanding the lineage of where this all kind of comes from. Yeah. And, um, I think that's really important. I think that's, I think, you know, it's, it's important to, if you're going to be inspired by something, just learn about the history of it rather than just hearing a cool track and then taking something from it and using it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's, that's an entirely different like conversation, but yeah, it was, it was a real kind of period of like discovery and just, you know, kind of uh, our introduction to like, yeah, that house and techno stuff and working our way back, but also seeing bands kind of incorporating it into um into their sound. Yeah.
0: I'm going to take you home for track six and ask you to tell me uh, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please, Ed.
1: So, um, yeah, I was thinking about this. I listened to the interview you did with Nshikari and I was... With, with, uh, with Rao or with... Um, the drummer, I think. The drummer, right, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, and it was, that's one thing that's, you know, definitely like a real hardcore scene within kind of Watford and St. Albans. And, you know, there's then obviously, I think he mentioned the zombies, which were kind of, I guess, you know, iconic St. Albans band. But uh, there's also like an amazing, uh, like electronic scene from St. Albans. So there's like Fotech his legendary drummer, bass producer. Was Photex
0: from St. Albans?
1: Yeah, it's from St. Albans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Photex St. Albans, Source Direct, then obviously in Watford you have all the kind of LTJ Bookham, good looking record stuff. You have Moving Shadow from Stevenage. It's like, it's, there's so much amazing jungle and electronic stuff literally just surrounding us. Well, I think it it was a different landscape, but it's amazing to, I can kind of hear the kind of Hertfordshire vibe within the music i know that really? sounds yeah there's something about it that just sounds like um it's hard to describe there's just a feeling about it i don't know and it's you know and so much of that music is so euphoric and so so nostalgic you, like if i listen to some you know LTJ book and stuff now i'm like you know almost brings tears to my eyes even though i kind of you know i didn't really live through that period but, um, yeah, but anyway, so the the artist that I'm going to mention is um a lot closer to us. And uh, yeah, he's a musician called Chris Clark, or he's now called Clark. But he was, to us, to me, I've, I've always sort of seen him as like a mentor. He was like the first guy from St. Albans that we knew that signed to Warp Records that was like the coolest label to us oh, growing up. And um, he was writing this weird kind of, bleepy bloopy music on his laptop but like traveling the world and playing you know just his music that he'd written on his laptop was taking him around the world and i was just like i want to do that i have to find a way to do that and um he was just you know i at school we had a logic it was e-magic logic gold five like one of the very early versions of logic and uh i just start writing and jamming on that and then sending him sending him tracks and he'd write me like page long replies saying, Oh, do this, try this. And then, um, so I ended up meeting Chris eventually. He was always playing down at the horn, which is the local pub in St. Albans. It's a legendary pub, right? Yeah. Legendary pub. Like I met Bono once. And even he, uh, remembered he was like, Oh, you're from St. Albans. Yeah. We played the, um, the, used to be called the horn of plenty before the horn were yeah. born. And yeah, so, you know, yeah, yeah it's a legendary venue. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, so yeah so Chris would be playing down there and and yeah he kind of i guess he was just always really supportive really inspirational and then he's actually just put out a new record which I should probably plug with um Tom York from Radiohead so you know he's obviously got he's got big admirers of his yeah. of his music he's yeah Tom York I think is singing on his album yeah. and um yeah so it was just like <laughs> You know, he's always really sort of friendly and engaged. Like I just was messaging him this morning and he was like, you know, he's asking me about vocal warm up techniques. So it's it's kind of cool to like have a hero that I now kind of consider like a friend. Yeah, I guess. That's wonderful. And he, yeah, and he gave gave us like our first sample C D, which is our first record is basically based around these samples that that he gave us. So uh, yeah, it's gotta be Chris Clark and the track is called Rob Lee. This is gonna get confusing because Rob Lee is actually the bass player of our band yeah. so chris clark named the song after the bass player the one that i met in hmv so um and yeah. i think i think if you
0: search it it's under
1: just clark i believe it is under no, clark yeah okay cool yeah yeah
0: last track and this is when you get to play uh tastemaker Ed, tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear please
1: so yeah over the kind of lockdown period. Uh, I just did this just cause I was bored and, and also I feel like I've never been very good at like connecting with our fans. I would, um, I just started doing like half an hour in the morning from seven thirty till eight, just playing music just to our mega fans basically, and just chatting over the music. So I wouldn't have any copyright issues, but the kind of the music that I couldn't really play was hip hop because I was just chatting over. <laughs> I'd be chatting over all the lyrics. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, my last choice is Big L, Freestyle 98. And this just takes me back to kind of skateboarding in St. Albans, going to the Pioneer Club. And, you know, it's just, it, you know, it was a different time for hip-hop. To me, it's like when I listen to it now, I'm like, this is like jazz music. Yeah. It's just so lyrical. It's just really beautiful, but also really, you know, aggressive and gnarly. Yeah, And, and I guess Big L was like one of those rappers that maybe just, I guess, were... Unfortunately, he got shot before he was able to like really take his career to the next level. But he's kind of, he, yeah, he didn't, he, he kind of dig, got to dig a little bit more deeper to find his stuff. But, um, yeah. but yes, uh, so there, yeah, Big L, Freestyle 98. That's what...
0: we, we just before we start to sort of wrap, wrap it up, Ed, you, you just touched on, I didn't I didn't realize that, that skateboarding was, was was a part of your life, uh, you know, uh, then tell me about how important skateboarding was because whenever you know musicians reference skating and and, and it was it was a big thing for me uh, growing up it maybe kind of before your time for me it was skate videos was where I heard new music that was where I heard uh, exciting american bands was was on for, for, me, videos. for me for it me for me also it was totally
1: 100 percent i was i mean i was big into snowboarding and skating yeah and and where i heard oasis slide away was actually on a snowboard video called odd man out which uh is directed by yeah a guy called uh christian S- svensson S- stevenson I his name wrong who um yeah who i now know but um yeah it's uh yeah everything like like skate like i can remember like I don't know if maybe this is yeah a bit later but for you but like the end birdhouse had such an iconic soundtrack yeah can you i don't know did, did you ever watch that one no i didn't know no right no. they're a bit too late um yeah but i get. i don't know so for you was it like kind of more what what period are we talking about i would have been skating in
0: probably 1991 uh, and, <laughs> and so you know i, I was discovering. I was discovering a lot of sort of like grunge stuff. Like I remember sort of hearing like Mudhoney for the first time on sort of skate yeah. videos. Even sort of stuff like sort of Fishbone and uh, and, and and then kind of the, the sort of offshoots of 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 your sort of Faith No More. You like Mr. Bungle and things like yeah. that. It was it was just like what's this? What's this? And you couldn't shazam it. You know, you'd have yeah. to sort of wait until someone or on the credits it'd be like or whatever. Yeah. Flag up what this track was, and it was like that was. Such an important thing and, and, and fashion as well. And like and it's so mm. weird when you look at the the biggest, most expensive brands now that people are wearing on the streets were were, were, were literally all you know what we wore then, like which was afo- were
1: totally affordable. And uh hundred oh, percent. Yeah. yeah. You know. I remember, I remember being like obsessed with you know, like etnes footwear. You know, you'd be obsessed with skate shoes. Yeah. And you'd be like, Oh, this is like the Eric Coston etneys, yeah, what you know, or whatever. That was like yeah just like a huge part of my life i guess that for me at that time it would have been dj shadow introducing that was that was the skate album for me and my mates yeah and and then kind of like grave diggers and that kind of horrorcore hip-hop thing there's something about like i know it's slightly different for older generations but yeah for my generation that kind of trip hoppy hip-hop thing just goes so well with skateboarding yeah. i don't know i don't know why it just feels so smooth
0: absolutely absolutely ed we put together a, a little spotify playlist to accompany the podcast of all of the uh the tracks that you've uh spoken about today and obviously we we'll put some of, of your music on and, and, and with that in mind what's happening musically tell me what's, what's what's coming up what's going on
1: so we're doing the kind of 15th anniversary of the first record We're doing some shows uh, we might have a little surprise that we that we'll do at the shows. I don't know. We're still undecided. Well, actually, no. We we said we are going to do it yesterday, so maybe we'll have a, a special surprise for you know the old school fans that are going to come on come and check out the show. And um, yeah, we're working on stuff, and it's going really nicely. And who knows? You might you know the fans might hear it sooner rather than later.
0: Oh, that sounds wonderful. And if people want to keep up to speed uh, with everything you're doing, where's the best place to, to to start up to speed?
1: Probably just on our Instagram, Friendly Fire's Instagram. We're in the process of redoing our website so we can uh, just get all of our merch and all of our stuff a bit more worldwide. Um, I'm kind of finding that I'm just caring more about that stuff now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like searching out screen printers. Like there's a young screen, pin- screen printer guy near me and it's great just being able to like, care more about that stuff yeah and then hopefully we can make it an easier process for the fans to just buy stuff straight away and we can yeah get that rolling wonderful
0: well if it's all right with you we'll um we'll take and everything when when this comes out and uh and wish you all the best uh with with, with the gigs and, and the music and just want to say i've had a lovely time chatting uh ed thank you so much
1: mate oh thanks so much Stu. yeah cheers and yeah it's amazing that that now record is you know <laughs> I still got it. That's so cool. I love that. I
0: love that, man. I am going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. Oh wow, that was lovely. What a top lad, uh, he, uh, Eddie's. Yeah, just um, a really, really nice little natter there. Uh, and get, you know, I got to speak about some great records with him. And uh, it's always nice when, and and I think maybe with the exception of Teen Spirit, I think like nobody had chosen any of the records that he'd chosen today. So it's always nice to. To uh, you know, to, to get to speak about bands like Chick 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 and, and and things like that, because you know. Sometimes we, we we do find that you know that the same songs may kind of present themselves a couple of times, and and so it's always really refreshing when you get sort of thrown some some tracks that you you probably might not have expected to hear, and uh, so yeah, and go and check out them tracks now over on the Spotify playlist, um, and if you want to watch the episode, head over to Patreon, uh, and also uh, over there you can get access to all the radio shows, and you get invites to the the live shows. You can listen and watch the previous live shows. Um, Yeah, other than that, just um, go and explore that back catalogue now because there's 500 episodes available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Please subscribe. Uh, If you want to leave a comment, that's great. Uh, We're on Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter. So please give us a like, love, share, retweet over there. And uh, yeah, and I will see you next time. And in the meantime, be nice to each other. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.